Welcome to The Round Barn, a podcast devoted to all things livestock. Our goal is to offer provocative insights, challenge conventional wisdom, and never be boring. Joining me is Dr. Jim Lowe, a large animal veterinarian and a member of the faculty of the College of Vet Med at the University of Illinois. Today, I'm going to ask him what he knows about corn instead of pigs and cattle like usual. That's the stuff you put in the pig. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That got so Central got a, Illinois, all the fields. Yeah. So you got a veterinarian talking about something that should be nutrition, which is actually an agronomist. <laughs> and then how it affects the economy of livestock. Fantastic. Sign me up. <laughs> this sounds like right up your alley. Exactly. We're going to give it a whirl. So I want to ask you about genetically engineered corn. Because I was reading that Mexico, and we've been talking about this for the last year or so, how Mexico is trying to put a ban on imports of genetically engineered corn, and they're really pushing toward glycosulfate-free corn. And so I'm really curious on what that's going to have as an impact on our livestock industry. So we should probably back up. I just threw a lot of agronomy oh, yeah. info out there. Most of it I have very little knowledge of. So talk to me first about genetically engineered corn. Yeah, so in the he U.S. He just took his glasses off. It's yeah, getting serious. Yeah, I did. Yeah, think more. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to fog him up with the steaming. <laughs> the, um, so corn today, almost all corn in the United States today is GMO or genetically modified. And that's a couple of three reasons. One, there's herbicide resistance. So we've got, quote, quote, Roundup Ready or glycosylate. Yeah. Uh, resistant corn. And so that's a gene we inserted so that that doesn't die from the herbicide. It's a known resistance. Mm -hmm. And then there's some other genes. We talk about triple stacks. So that means we got three genes we've edited. And so those other genes are about insect resistance. And so we used to dump um, a lot of insecticide, primarily organophosphates, on seed because they get worms and, and corn rootworm beetles and, and earworms, et cetera. And so we inserted a um, Bacillus uh, thuringiensis, which is a bacteria. We inserted a bacterial gene into the corn plant that's actually toxic to corn pest, okay. to, to insects. And so we did that. We created Roundup resistance. We inserted Roundup resistance. So when we say GMO, they're not gene deleted. So we're talking about doing gene deletion in some things where we take a gene out. Mm -hmm. In this case, we're putting genes in and genes from other species. And so that's genetically modified corn. Okay. And so to sum that up, that's to help prevent insects from coming in and destroying the crop. And then also to allow us to use the right um, weed control without killing the corn, but keep the weeds under control. Right, and so all that is important as we thought about. So there were environment. So there were first of all, there were yield reasons to do it, but the better thing is there's also big environmental benefits from that GMO corn. So when I have GM corn, I've got the bacillus, the the insect resistance. I quit using organophosphates, and organophosphates are toxic to people, to wildlife, to everything. Mm-hmm. So I took that out of the rotation. We basically don't use organophosphates today. So as a veterinarian, when I was a baby veterinarian. Um, Jesus was not a little boy anymore, but it was close. That's what the students think. Um, that we still had dogs get poisoned with with um, rootworm insecticide like all the time. That was like okay. a routine thing. It was really sweet. The dogs would eat it. The dogs, would, you know, so you got really good at treating organophosphate toxicity in these dogs, and they were never right again. Okay. Nobody sees that today because we don't use them. So we I don't mean, need to use them. They don't use them. So imagine you're just slopping 
like it's like having the uh, pesticide guy come to your house to kill bugs and they're there every day and yeah. then so we're slopping this stuff around so we could raise corn so bt corn got rid of that so that was kind of the first thing we did and when was that Oh, now you're going to tax me sometime in the 2000s. Okay. We've had BT corn a long time. Right. And then we inserted the Roundup Ready gene in it. So it was not the Roundup Ready, the Roundup Resistance gene. It was known as Roundup Ready corn. And that allowed us to spray glyphosate, which I can never say Roundup is the brand name. Did I say that wrong? I don't know how to pronounce it. I might have. Uh, I butcher. I can't speak English. Everybody asks how many languages (laughs) do you speak? I'm like, apparently zero. I can't do any. But um, so... That allowed us to really use minimum till practices so that before when we put on, when we start killing weeds, we put weeds down ahead of time, like or herbicide down ahead of time, like atrazine to control it. And we often really had to cultivate quite a bit, mechanically cultivate. So it was a high tillage system. And by going to Roundup, which you spray over the top, like you can buy Roundup at the store, right? Yep. It kills everything. And so after the corn is up, you go spray it with Roundup, and that kills the weeds. And so I could use much less tillage because I didn't need mechanical weed control. Okay. I also didn't have to use stuff like atrazine, which, again, is a compound that hangs out in the environment, et cetera. So in the short term, we had all these benefits that allowed us to do a lot of stuff with yield. They put a lot of pressure on yield. Directly Roundup Ready doesn't make the yield more, but it allowed us to do some other things to get to yield. Mm-hmm. And so... GMO corn has been, genetically modified corn, has been a real boon to um, yields. And so how much food can we produce per acre in the U.S.? And I I forget the bend, but I mean, it was, if you look at trends in corn yields across Mm -hmm. time, and university publishes this kind of stuff, it was basically flat until the 1930s when we started using hybrid corn, and then it's on a pretty good slope up. And then when we went to genetically modified corn there's another slope the slope we were accelerating faster is the point of that so this idea that we could do gmo and we got much better at modifying crops and growing crops faster we we've really improved yields exponentially compared to what we were doing before so it's been a huge boon for corn producers okay so it's benefited the corn producers the united states any idea how much we export to mexico uh, i think they're our largest corn export market. i don't know what the percentage is but i think they're our largest corn export market we ship a lot of corn in mexico okay so as of they're saying march 2024 they're eliminating imports of genetically modified corn what does that do for us sounds pretty bad so I, a couple of things one Almost all the corn in the United States is GMO today. Yeah. Almost no one is growing conventional, what would be referred to as conventional corn. So the supply is almost exclusively GMO. The the non-GMO corn that's being produced is basically human food grade stuff. Okay. So um, they're- Sweet corn. Sweet corn. All sweet corn is done. Yeah, nobody's spending any money to GM sweet corn. Okay. But you've got sweet corn, then you've got white corn that we go into tortillas. And right. That kind of, a lot of that is not GMO. Okay. And again, it's a different crop. It's a different, you know, those are relatively. So we're talking about Mexico importing corn, not for human consumption, because that's not the worry with GE corn. We're talking about for feed for animals. Yeah, it's feed feed consumption. And so there was original discussion, was it only going to be their human consumption corn, which we could have dealt with quite easily. And now they come back and said, no, it's going to be all the corn. Okay. Um, And therefore all the corn. Uh, would include all this, you know, we call it yellow number two, but it's just regular field corn out there is basically in the U.S. It's going to be GMO. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, it may be commingled with GMO corn. And so it's really hard to keep it separate. Pull out. Yeah. So I think if you think about that, what's it going to do? 
Um, well, for us as livestock producers in the short term, theoretically, it's great. Theoretically, it should lower the price of corn in the U.S. Um, so feed price goes down is what you're thinking yeah, as a livestock yeah, producer. Yeah, you say, ah, well, maybe feed price is going to go down. That would be a win after what we've paid for corn. It's obviously not good for the corn farmer. Right. This, that won't last very long because if we really quit exporting there, they'll raise less corn, we'll raise more soybeans. It'll all level out. Ah, it all equilibrates, right? I think the question is, where is Mexico going to get the corn at? Mm-hmm. And although Brazil is a huge corn exporter, um, if they would go to Brazil and get... Now, Brazil raises GMO corn as well, just like we do. And so if, let's say they decide they're going to buy all their corn from Brazil and they can get non-GMO there... Well, that just means that our corn's going to go somewhere else. And so, I mean, if you kind of think about it in the world, it's not that we're going to have, let's say we export 20% of our 20% of our exports go to Mexico. It's not that that 20% all of a sudden is going to just be laying in a pile right. somewhere. It's going to get shifted. Now, that has big price implications because it's macroeconomics, right? It's, oh, wait a minute, trade balances are going to change. So Mexico's probably going to pay a lot more for that corn. Yeah, because they've got shipping on it that they. I mean, we take it to Mexico on a rail, so it goes yep. on a train to Mexico now. Uh, a lot of it through Hereford, Texas, so it goes hmm. actually from this part of the hmm. world, East Central Illinois, to Hereford, Texas, south uh, into Mexico, and that's how a lot of it goes. And you also just told me though that uh, we use this kind of corn, GMO corn, in order to increase yields, productivity, yep. so we can probably produce corn less expensive. So there, Mexico is going to pay more for quote unquote conventional corn. Yeah, I would assume they're gonna pay a lot more because it's conventional, because it's specialty crop basically. And then secondly, they're gonna have more transportation on it. Yeah. And so that also means if we have to export corn from here to somewhere other than Mexico, our customer is gonna have more yeah. cost on it. So do you think that Mexico, that ruling is gonna stick? Because I think, and, and the reason I ask is a lot of things go out in the public and say, this is a great idea, we want organic, for example. Um, consumers say, we want this, we want organic foods. Oh wait, I have to pay more? Ooh. Yeah, it'll be an interesting question. I think it'll go into effect because I think the Mexican government is, the U.S. government has gotten on them so hard that I think they're going to bow up and say, we're not doing it now, right? I mean, Just out a, of principle. Yeah, there's a little <laughs> machoism probably going on that the big brother from the north is not going to tell us what to do, okay. basically. And that's just my guess. I don't know that. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you kind of look at things and, okay, we've told them they were stupid, basically. And they're going to be like, no, no, we're not. Eh. Watch us. Yeah, watch <laughs> us. Um, watch us be stupid. Um, I think the question will be what actually happens to the trade flows. It's really, really hard to replace a major import supplier. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say you're going to do it, but it's not like they're taking most of their corn on a, bar, or on a boat and offloading it and hauling it. Yeah. A lot of that corn goes straight on the rail. Well, and it sounds like they won't replace one with one. They'll have to replace one with Many. several. Yeah, but just the infrastructure bit of I'm going to offload it all off of boats now instead of offloading it off of the rail. That's mm-hmm. two different infrastructures to get grain where grain needs to be. Right. So it, I think there'll be some logistical challenges there, and then, and they can overcome those, right? That's just figuring it out. But I think there will be some short-term pain. And then I think the question will be, what are they going to do? How long were they willing to tolerate high prices? Mm-hmm. And who has the political power? So 
uh, I don't know, Sri Lanka a few years ago decided they were going to use no more. People are, are poor and starving, had a financial crisis, and they decided they were going to use no more chemical fertilizer. Right. Because the government in charge had some deal to buy some organic fertilizer. Yeah. Who knows if they're taking bribes or whatever, right? Who, I mean, that politics. Kind of, politics. That kind of stuff goes on. Well, that government didn't get throwing out because they were taking bribes. But uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that's what the bribe was for. But um, but they made that in that lasted until people were really hungry and going to riot. And then we decided that maybe we could just use regular fertilizer yep. again. And so that this won't be that bad because they can get corn. But if you start driving inflation for the poorest people in the country, which is the most severe, right, the bottom of the income ladder always takes inflation the worst if you drive inflation there what does that do to the political base considering right. that's the group that really supports the government and so um it'll be an interesting view to how long they stick to it i think mm -hmm. they'll do it uh, i also think that they will take in oodles and oodles and oodles and oodles of corn from our fall crop this year and pile it up yeah so if it ends in march i'm guessing we're going to ship a lot of corn in, fe in february yep um and then they'll figure out what they're going to have happen. And I think it'll be an interesting political battle to see who's. Yeah. Who's more, gonna... more along like the summer and fall of 2024 to see how that inventory that they stockpiled up and then who their new supplier might be. Yeah, And can they find a supplier and how much political clout do the livestock producers have to put pressure back on? The livestock industry is quite vibrant in Mexico. Yeah. And so then the economics playing out of higher feed costs for them, how That's, that drives their what does that do? To, what does yeah. that do to meat price? What does that do? Yeah, they raise a lot of pigs and chickens in Mexico, yeah. and they have a lot of cattle. Some of those cattle come north to be fed, but they feed a lot of cattle in Mexico. And then are consumers willing to pay for that cost of increased production? Yeah. Let's take it back to the U.S. livestock producers. So short term, the, crystal ball. Uh, short term, there'll be some serious basis disruptions. And so basis is the difference in local price compared to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange price. Okay. And so those things normally basis the local price relative to the board price or the financially traded price is pretty stable given a time of year. And, you know, you get short term. But it's, yeah. it's a relatively predictable thing that people understand. And then you get goofy times when you get really basis disruption. So in the case of buying it the basis might get wide it's a lot over the market so if we look okay. at southwest kansas this year they had a drought they didn't have enough corn if they were normally a dollar over chicago they were all of a sudden two dollars or two and a half dollars mm -hmm. over chicago because they didn't have the corn yeah you know there's local demand and so people right and so i think we'll see those basis disruptions happen because ah if we export a ton of corn from east central illinois to mexico and they don't do that and we got to send it to the gulf uh do we have enough trains to get right. it to the gulf for it, there will be some short-term implications. I think the implications will be bigger on the crop farmer than livestock. Mm -hmm. um, we may see on the livestock side a short-term bump here and there, but nothing I, to lose sleep over. Yeah, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a huge opportunity for livestock. I also don't think it's going to be a huge, huge deal. I think the market will equilibrate fair, fairly okay. quickly on on the corn bit. I think the bigger thing to me is it says. Um, we also sell a lot of pork to Mexico, mm -hmm. and we bring a lot of steers north from Mexico to feed. Yeah, so there's a lot of Texas, a lot of Mexican cattle fed in Texas and Southwest Kansas, and they're biggest. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and they're the biggest buyer of hams, and so um, 
if you look at that, okay, we said we aren't going to do GMO corn. Mm -hmm. And we have this, I guess it's not NAFTA anymore, but it's a U.S., Canadian, Mexico, whatever they call that trade agreement. Okay. But it's the old NAFTA. We've had this really good trading block where it can move stuff back and forth and it kind of functions as one market and it's low barriers and it's worked really, really well. Yeah. And good for all three countries. So this is clearly not part of NAFTA. This is not the, mm-hmm. whatever they call the new thing, NAFTA, the new NAFTA. This is clearly outside the game, not acceptable. Right. And so what's the next thing, right? You just, I, I start to look at it and say, oh, okay, this probably isn't that big a deal, but if they quote, quote, get away with this. Yeah, so are they gonna take imports of protein fed by genetically engineered corn? Those are all the questions you start yeah. to ask. Right? They're saying, ah, oh, well, it's not safe here. We're not going to take that. Yeah. And is that their response to reducing pressure? Because if you think about this, if I'm a Mexican produ- hog producer and I'm making pork, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden my cost of corn is 40% or 50% more than my U.S. colleagues, the U.S. will be able to export corn in there or export meat in there at a huge advantage. Right. And so, yeah, what's what's the next shoe, right? Like this shoe isn't right. that, but what's the next shoe that's going to drop? And yeah. we don't know, but I think that's the interesting part to me. It's the stay tuned because once we break the rules once, it's what's the next rule break? Right. So now I'm more worried about not what happens in the short term for producers in the United States and their feed costs, but... All of yeah, the I think it's production. I think it's this hmm. disrupting, and you know we got this going on everywhere. You know, China is a huge concern. What all of these were so interdependent from an international trade standpoint today. If we start breaking the rules, and we're breaking the rules right and left, how do we have any predictability of international trade? And right, that's that's all hard. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right, thanks, Jim. Appreciate your input. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe and tell your friends about The Round Barn. It's available on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. In addition to this podcast, we offer a wide range of online learning opportunities for livestock producers and veterinarians, including a Master of Veterinary Science degree. You can learn more about these things by following The Round Barn at Illinois on LinkedIn or by visiting online.vetmed.illinois.edu. Thanks for listening.